It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Since I was a little girl, I've kept quotes because I love being able to have wisdom from other people shared with me in such a way that it sticks with me. So I would take little quotes and I'd put them on the mirror or I'd put them on my dresser. I'd have quotes on the walls. And I remember growing up, there was a quote about, I do my thing and you do your thing. I'm not in the world to live up to your expectations. I would put that on my door so that my father would see it when he came across my room every time. So I've always been keeping quotes my whole life. One of my favorite quotes that struck me the moment I heard it came from my favorite author, Maya Angelou. Growing up, reading was my passion. Books were my escape into a world that went beyond my front door. I loved her books. I read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings I don't know how many times before I was an adult. From the time I opened the first page and What You Looking at Me For? didn't come to stay, only came to say Happy Easter Day, struck me because I was a black girl, just like Maya Angelou, growing up in the church, being raised by my grandmother, doing Easter pieces. Imagine growing up and getting to become friends, not just friends, sister, daughter, mentor to Maya Angelou. Unimaginable to me that that would happen. I would now say that she was one of the greatest influences in my entire life. She was like a mother to me, a sister to me, a friend to me, has been a great mentor for me. And I have sat at her table, sat at her feet, um, sat on the side of her bed, sat on her floor, listened to her words of wisdom for years. And I remember the very first time I went to visit her, I could not believe, you know, it was one of those out-of-body things. I could not believe I am in Maya Angelou's house. I grew up, I, it just makes me tear to think about it. I grew up reading her books. She was like the biggest rock star in the world to me. And now I'm sitting in her house. And you know the first thing she did? She cooked a meal for me and she read me poetry. I sat at her feet and she read Paul Lawrence Dunbar to me out loud. Unbelievable. And I was telling her my life story and sharing with her some of the mistakes I'd made in my 20s. And I shall never forget 
in that moment, she said to me, that was when you're 20 and now you're in your 30s. When you know better, you do better. It's one of the great lessons of my life that I loved so much, I wanted to share it with our viewers. And not only did I share it, every time I got a chance to say those words, I did. That's all anybody can do is, is speak from what they know. That's right. And when you know better, you do better, Dennis. That's right. Thank you so much. Do you know how freeing those words are? How freeing they can be for you? What it means is you don't have to hold yourself hostage to who you used to be or anything you ever used to do. Because who has lived and hasn't made mistakes? When I think about my 20s and what a foolish girl I was and how I would give over my power to men who really didn't mean me well, but now I hold no grudges against them either because I realized I'm the one who gave over the power because I didn't know any better. And now that I know better, I know I don't have to do that again. It's one of the most powerful lessons any of us can ever know. We all have some things that you wish you hadn't done. It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. When you know better, you can do better. In 2006, we did a show going inside the dark world of prostitution. Contessa was a mother of five who never imagined that she would end up selling her body to strangers. Before the drugs and prostitution, I was, I was happy. I was a mom. I had a house, two cars. Life was going really well. And then everything left. First, my husband then my kids, and then all my belongings. When my husband left, I started using drugs. Then I started prostitution. Men just pull over. I tell them my price, and we go handle business. I did that all day long, from sunup to sundown. I felt what I was doing was wrong, but I couldn't stop. The whole time I was out there, I was always in the hospital. I was raped twice. I was sliced in my face, and I was stabbed with an ice pick. After a while, the family stopped showing up at the hospital because I think they were getting tired of it. When they stopped showing up, I knew I had nothing, nobody. That's the big part I hurt my family. I'm proud of myself for what what I'm doing now, I got a job, got my own place to live. But it's still hard. I still feel bad. I don't feel clean yet. I know one day I will. feel like a dirty person all the time. So I try to buy clothes, and I try to keep my hair done and put on a little makeup. But it still doesn't work. They have just used me up so much. They turned me into nothing. That was Contessa. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Um, Contessa, Contessa is part of a Minneapolis program called Pride that helps women and children get out of prostitution. What was your, your turning point to decide to stop? When, when I thought I was going to get shot when a guy put a gun to my head before. Mm -hmm. That's when I knew I had to stop. 
And I just saw myself getting shot. Mm -hmm. How long were you on the street prostituting? About a year, two years. How long since you stopped? Two years. Two years. And some months. And do you still feel dirty? Yes. I don't know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I'm all used up. You are not used up. You are not used up. That is something that you did. That is something that you did. And when you know better, you do better. Now you know better, you do better. That's something you did. That is not who you are. And your testimony is going to save somebody. Somebody's going to see themselves in you. And I look in your eyes, I see myself in you. Because when I was 14 years old, I was running the streets and there, but for the grace of God, if my father hadn't taken me in, I could have been you. So you are not used up. You are not used up. I want to hear you say that. I want to hear you say, I am not used up. I am not used up. Say it and mean it. <laughs> you are not used up. I am not used up. God has great plans for you. God has great plans for you. Great things will happen to you in your life for learning to tell the truth. And so you just have to claim that for yourself. You have to claim it. Because there but for the grace of God, but somebody, my father, showed me the way, and I was able to turn my life around, and so can you. You are not used up. Say it. I am not used up. All right. God bless. I said that to her because when I was 14 years old, I became pregnant and hid the pregnancy for seven months until the baby was born. And I say the baby because I was so disassociated and still do feel such a disassociation. I never felt like it was my baby. And in the process of hiding that secret and carrying that shame really blocked me in so many ways that I remember being taken to the detention home when my mother was going to put me out of the house at the age of 14 and being taken to the detention home and waiting to be processed through the detention home and recognizing in that moment that I have been abused since I was nine years old, raped at nine years old, abused at 10 years old, molested for all of those years and now pregnant as a result of that. And looking around the detention home at all of these girls who'd been placed there for being bad girls. And I remember having a moment thinking, now I am officially a bad girl. I'm now for the rest of my life going to be called a bad girl because I'm going to be put in this place. And thinking to myself sitting there waiting to be processed that I really don't belong here and I don't, I don't even know how this happened to me, that I am in a place for bad girls because I didn't feel like I was a bad girl. And as I sat there thinking, I don't belong in this place for bad girls because I'm not a bad girl. A woman comes out and says to myself and to my mother, I'm sorry 
Miss Lee, but there's not enough room on our docket for your daughter. You'll have to come back in two weeks. There isn't enough room for her here. And my mother and I had to leave. And I was released to go to live with my father. And that was my saving grace. And so from that moment forward, I felt like I had been somehow saved, that somebody up there, out there, recognized that I wasn't a bad girl. And now here I was gonna have another chance. And after I gave birth at 14 years old to a child that I never even knew how this even happened to me at the time, when that child died, my father said to me, this is your second chance. This is your opportunity to seize this moment and make something of your life. And I took that chance and understood for myself, even though I didn't have the words to articulate it, that now I know better so I can do better. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas' 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You know what? It's never too late to change. It's never too late to change. The moment you recognize that the person you have been or the actions that you have taken is not who you want to be, it's not how you want to live your life, it's not what you want to keep manifesting and projecting for yourself in your life, the moment of awareness is the moment you can begin to turn that around. And it doesn't matter how despicable the act has been. I don't stand in judgment of other people's acts because I know I've had acts of my own. And I know that as I said to Contessa, there but for the grace of God could be I. And I know that even when people say damaging, hurtful, uh, vitriolic things, and they are said out of ignorance that there is an opportunity for even the worst of those to change. Every time I did a show with 
skinheads or the Ku Klux Klan, I always felt that I was carrying the burden of every black person, of every Jewish person, of every person who'd ever been shamed or hurt or uh, manipulated or treated violently by any one of these groups. And it was during this show with the skinheads that I had a major epiphanal aha revelatory moment. And my next guest is vice president of the Aryan Youth Movement. He says that white people built this nation and have now lost it. So he is recruiting white youth to help win it back. Meet Dave Mazzella. Do you believe that only white people created this country? Everything that's created around here is created by white people. You know, blacks can follow instructions, you know. Anybody can follow inst instructions, you know. You follow rules and you can build something. <laughs> please, please let him speak. Please let him speak. You know, you look at everything, all the great poets and all the, all the music writers and, you know, builders, great architects who are white, you know. Blacks, they still live in the jungles of Africa. You know, they come over here. White people teach these people, you know. They, they didn't create anything over here. They just followed us, you know. We taught them. White people taught blacks. Okay, who have you taught? Who have I taught? Mm -hmm. I've taught my fellow brothers and I've taught Mike. But, hey. Mike, why is violence necessary? Violence, violence is, ne is necessary when it's brought to us. And we've had people come at us with bats, knives, and stuff like that. Why? Because we were white. I just heard what you said. You just said, I don't sit with monkeys. You think because she's black, because I'm black, we're, we're, we're monkeys? Is that? That's a proven fact. That's a proven fact? <laughs> <laughs> it's a proven fact that I'm a monkey? Could be, but, you know, <laughs> no, Go ahead, go ahead. First thing I want to get off my mind is... No, hey, I want to talk about this monkey you stuff. Know, these skinheads... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The ADL, okay? No, 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 I want to talk about the monkey business. I want to talk about... The energy in the room with that group of skinheads, you, you, you could have cut it. The The... The poison, the toxicity was so thick, you could have cut it. Okay, so you guys are skinheads too. Do you believe in what they believe in? And so you can hear it in my voice. You know, my voice is, becomes higher pitch because I am feeling a sense of agitation and, you know, being aggravated because I, I, I know that this is really volatile ground uh, I'm walking on. And we all can feel it in the room. What I realized is I don't have to feel that. I don't have to put myself through that ever again. And I certainly don't want to take this feeling that I'm having in this room, in this television audience, studio audience, and have that energy put out into the world uh, with all of you. That was a huge lesson for me. When they left, I made a decision that I would no longer allow the platform that I had, The Oprah Winfrey Show, to be misused by people who were carrying any form of negative energy that could create more negative energy in the world. And that shift came in the moment that those skinheads walked out of the audience. I realized as they were nodding and raising their fists to one another and shaking their heads in agreement that what I thought I had been doing was allowing people to see how violent, how abusive, how not smart they were, that I was actually doing the opposite, that I was giving that energy a forum, and I no longer wanted to be a part of giving that kind of negative energy power into the world. And it was elevating for me in 
in, in the way that I re recognize what this platform really is. It's an opportunity to connect. It's an opportunity to reach and say, inform, enlighten, touch other people's lives in a way that I hadn't recognized until that day with skinheads. When you know better, you do better, even if you got to learn it from a skinhead. And I share that with you all because many times doing what you shouldn't be doing is one of the greatest teachers. I recognize in that moment, I should not be doing this and I'm never going to put myself in that position again. So years later, 22 years later, when the producers come back to me and say, we would like to bring these guys back on for the 25th season, I had to think long and hard about that because I've made a vow to myself that I will not be a representative of the force of dark energy in the world, period. And have been in many situations with my producers where there was some really fascinating show or idea, compelling, that they thought would work, but I felt that for myself, it's presenting dark energy into the world and so I won't do it. So I had to be really assured by them that these guys had really made a turn in their life and I was prepared to go on the air, tape that show, hear and feel for myself whether or not I thought they had actually made a change and if they had not, you would never have seen it. But because in the middle of the interview I thought this is real, uh, they're not just doing this for television, they're just not now trying to come back and have a moment, um, I let the show air. Yeah, first and foremost, I just, I'd like to express, you know, absolutely from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for how we were on your show because we were rude, we were arrogant, we were disruptive mm -hmm. and hateful. And I just, I apologize first and foremost to you just for the evil that we Apology accepted. And Mike, where were you in your life at that time? It really brings tears to my eyes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes, so that kid was lost. Mm -hmm. You were lost. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. 
What turned you around? Because, well, okay, for, let's, let's talk about this. Um, that was your intention, to come on and promote your Oh, hatred. most definitely. We, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. yeah, that's what I thought when you guys have, I thought, well, you know, I think I'm doing one thing. I'm, think I'm, I'm thinking that I'm exposing it, yeah. but they're recruiting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. that that was a recruitment mechanism. We actually used that show as a recruitment tool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Did you? Most definitely. Good or bad, uh, publicity for us was always, mm -hmm. was always positive for us. Well, one year after that show, uh, Mike went to prison for defacing a synagogue. Uh, Dave went to jail for assault. And Mike says, you had an epiphany in prison? What happened? I did. Um, well, I went through San Quentin first as my reception center. They sent me down to Vacaville, down to a ranch out there, so I got to work outside. Mm -hmm. And the crew they put me on was entirely black, mm -hmm. including the black sergeants. So here I am, the only white guy, you know. On an all-black crew. On an all-black crew. And you're a white supremacist. And white supremacist. And, we're, <laughs> and, and we're working with power tools. Yeah. So, you know. I but, bet you um, weren't waving that white supremacist flag. <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, what, the what was, you know, was um, <clears throat> these guys accepted me for who I was. Mm -hmm. They already knew about my past because it was tattooed all over my back and my neck. I had swastikas all over me and stuff like that. Wow. But they treated me like a human being. Mm. And it just taught me that the, everybody is a human being. Mm -hmm. And we can't just hate people. Mm. So it was your being accepted by an all-black Crew mm -hmm. in prison that yeah. started to change it. Was it immediate or is it gradual? It's was a, it's a stripping away because you have to understand I had so many layers mm -hmm. of hardness on my heart that mm -hmm. I believe that the Lord was stripping away mm -hmm. that hardness. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what I felt sitting there. Isn't the universe a beautiful place? Here's one of the most vehement, um, vitriolic of the skinheads. I remember him like spitting anger up on the stage. And the thing that turns him around is a group of black inmates at San Quentin. How sweet is that? That's what I thought. I thought, wow, that is just sweet. That you end up in San Quentin with all of these black inmates, these prisoners who are in many ways, I'm sure, just as hardened as you are. And it is through that experience that you get to be awakened. It means it's possible for anybody. That's what I learned from that experience. It is possible for anybody to wake up and do better. What made you change, Dave? Well, about six months after the show, um, my job was I was a recruiter and mm -hmm. I traveled around recruiting. And, I, and you used the tape for recruitment purposes. That was one thing. It kind of yeah. let me in, in the doors. And uh, I ended up recruiting a group up in Portland, Oregon that ended up murdering an Ethiopian student. Wow. And uh, at that point, that woke me up. And uh, I realized that there's consequences to ideas. You know, thoughts and things that we say do truly have consequences. And here I was motivating people to do this. And uh, that woke me up. And, and uh, it got my attention. Do you feel better as a human being now? Do you feel differently? Oh, most definitely. Um, I feel differently. I'm, I'm so embarrassed because of my past. I, mm -hmm. I don't like it. Um, and it's humiliating because mm -hmm. I look where I was then and where I'm at now. But do you feel that your ability to change is evidence that it can happen? Oh, most definitely. We, yeah, yeah. Thank you for being here today. We will be right back. Thank you. Thank you, Oprah. And I, again, I'm so sorry. I've always been able to have empathy with people who've done really devastating, dark, and despicable things. I understand that the thing that you do is not you, and that everybody acts out of their own pain. Hearing that lesson from Maya early on in my career has been 
a great groundbreaker for me in terms of being able to have empathy for almost everybody I've talked to. And that is understanding that when you are clothed in ignorance, when you have your life lived not in the fullest sense of who I know you to be as a human being, you continually make mistakes until you can wake up and see the light of yourself. So I have a lot of empathy for other people's mistakes because I've made enough of my own. And I do realize that when you know better, when you're given the opportunity to know better and you choose to do better, that you get to rise to the best of yourself. When I saw the Oprah show in 1988 that had all the skinheads on, it kind of transported me back to my living room when I was five years old, six years old. Some extended family members that I had had a lot of those same views. They didn't like minorities, and in particular, African Americans. I just thought of African American people as scary people. They were to be avoided. I heard the N-word, you know, pretty, pretty liberally used, and I didn't think it was bad to say it. It didn't really sound nice, but since all the adults were saying it, it must be okay. In watching the skinheads and how hateful and nasty they were, it just really kind of shook me, you know, it's, it, was, it was awful. And it made, it made me sick that I ever thought that that was normal and that, that I could anyway be categorized with those men that were on that show. I've learned a lot from Oprah. I won't allow people to use any racial slurs around me ever. When Oprah had the skinheads back in this last season, I was really shocked. If those guys could change, anybody could change. It just kind of goes along with what Oprah always says, when you know better, you do better. And, uh, you know, they did better, and I've done better, and I hope everybody does better. When you know better, do better, doesn't have to always be in some dire circumstance. I mean, it could be as simple as not wearing pantyhose with your sandals, or in my case, uh, knowing when to take your wig off. So this is what happened. Tina Turner came to Harpo for the first time. I'm upstairs in my office, I'm hearing her rehearse, I come downstairs and oh my goodness, I've never seen or felt anything like that since. It was electrifying. It was exhilarating. It was stimulating. I just became an instant groupie, an instant. I just thought, oh my God, she's going to come here and she's going to do the show tomorrow, but that's not going to be enough for me. I need to be with her as much as possible. I need to follow her. So I had this idea, how could I pack up the show and now be with Tina Turner? Really, it was the ultimate groupie story. So I did that at great expense to the show. We went around the country following Tina Turner, mainly so that I could go to Tina concerts every night in different cities. We built it around Tina's theme at the time, which was Wildest Dreams, created a Wildest Dreams tour, making Wildest Dreams come true for people. And I had a wig made so that I could be a part and close to Tina in wigdom. And then I wouldn't take the wig off. I did it for the show. I did it for the next show. I think we did five or six shows around the country. And uh, I started wearing it on the weekends. I started wearing it 
to bed. I started wearing it at all times. I would have on that Tina wig. And one day Stedman came and said to me, I don't know when somebody's gonna tell you. Tell me what? Tell you that you are not Tina Turner. And uh, I said, I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, well, it's a problem. It's become a problem. I think you think you're Tina Turner. And you really should really be happy being Oprah Winfrey. And I said, I really am. I'm happy being Oprah Winfrey. And he goes, well, well, you need to act like it. And so I uh, got rid of the, my Tina wigs, gave them all away. And uh, the producers think that that was a no better, do better moment. I don't necessarily agree. Truth of the matter is, I still like my Tina wig. I still like my Tina wig. If I had it right now, I'd put it on. But, you know, I, I don't feel like that was such a terrible thing to put on the Tina wig. Could I have a little happiness here? Could I just have a little moment? It was just a Tina wig. It was, I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't doing anything to cause any harm in the world. It was just me wearing a Tina wig. That's all. The truth is, when you know better, you do better in big areas in your life, in small areas of your life, the important thing is for you to figure out what that means in your own life. What does it mean when you know better, do better? What are you still doing that you know better and you keep repeating the same mistakes? When you know better, do better. Knock down the obstacles for yourself. Nobody can do it but you. If you're sitting around waiting on somebody else to change it for you, not gonna change. Figure out what that is and use this lesson to begin right now to start to up your game up your game. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.